Hello, friends. Welcoming back to the podcast today as we launch season three. Um, we have our first episode of 2024 with my new friend, Justin Whitmel Early. I had the pleasure of meeting him um, at a family made event last fall and subsequently read two of his three books right after and have just fallen in love with his message and um, am so glad to have him as a guest on here today. Um, his platform in general um, as a corporate lawyer and writer and author, podcaster, speaker, etc., is all about habits, um, the power of our habits and how so often we have genuinely good intentions of how we hope to live, where we hope to go in life, but that our heart and the trajectory of our life almost always follows our habits um, over our hopes. And so this is about taking inventory and taking agency over the habits that he says really shape who we are, whether we choose or intend for them to or not. So we talk a lot specifically about his most recent book, which came out last year, Made for People, which is on the habits and arts of friendship. And I loved his book so much. I gifted it at our Christmas favorite things party last year to my best girlfriends, because if you have people in your life that feel like what he calls covenant friends, this is an encouragement to keep pouring in, keep sowing in and enriching those relationships. And if you, like most Americans, sort of feel like you are in this current of of feeling lonely, even if you're surrounded by people and connected to people, that internal loneliness of, of not really being known, he gives us such practical steps and encouragements as to how to pursue a handful of those safe interior covenant friendships and how that's how we are wired to experience love with one another, to experience love with God, and just the power of relationship um, and how to live in a way that cultivates those and sustains those in a modern world that's very disconnected. So we had a great time, have so much in common, have huge amount of respect for his message um, in his story. And I just think this is a perfect way to kick off the season. So I hope you all enjoy this um, conversation with Justin Early. Justin, thank you so much for being here. I just, uh, before we started recording, I said we um, met last fall kind of over a very um, surprisingly aggressive game of spoons. I, I don't know if people <laughs> remember playing that as a kid, <laughs> but we did I at do. a family made event. And unfortunately, I didn't win. Yeah, that so is true. I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah, I I, I did knock you out, I believe. Um <laughs> But I'm really glad you're rubbing that in right now. Yeah, sorry. Um, I just had to, but no, we did. And then I, I had the gift of hearing you talk the next day at the family made conference. And as I told you, just kind of fell in love with your message. And um, my husband and I got a couple of your books after that and um, had read them. And so I'm, I'm really psyched for everybody to get to know you. I think your message is encouraging, um, but also really practical, which I appreciate a lot. Um, as a person who loves applications. So thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored that you read some books after hearing me talk. That's always the hope. But, <laughs> That's the <laughs> but, goal, right? But Yeah, yeah. Sell a couple books. Um, so I told you before I'm in Nashville and uh, show's all about joy. So one thing that brings me joy is music. And uh, so I like to ask people before we start our conversations, if you had like a walkout, song for your life at this point you're my first guest of 2024 um what is a song that would be playing behind you right now oh what a good question catches people um, off guard. i am i'm just gonna go with one of the anthems that i'm loving right now because i just saw them in concert again recently um the lone bellow has become one of my favorite bands i think they're located in nashville even though they started in brooklyn um, and if you haven't heard them, you should go listen to them. They're like a, they're a hard to describe, like some country vibes, some, uh, indie rock vibes, mm -hmm. always singing in three part harmonies. And, um, they have an anthem song called green eyes and a heart of gold. Love that. And if you hear it, it's just, it feels like a pump out walkout song. And I've, I've sung it with my kids and my wife for years now. So I feel like it's kind of following me. And I love, I love it. that band. I've seen them live a bunch a bunch of times. So there's some so there's some good energy. Go play it right now and you'll you'll feel the energy. Yeah, we're gonna play it so people can hear a clip. But I'm gonna go look them up. I've never heard of them. You'll love them, and I'm sure they play locally more often in, in Nashville. One of the best live performances 
Maybe the best live performance, actually, that, that I've seen. They're just incredible live. Wow. It's a big endorsement. I'm here for it. A ringing endorsement. I'm going to find them. Okay. They'll, hopefully they'll listen to this and then be, we, we got to meet that guy, Justin. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. They come up and uh, play again in Virginia sometime soon, maybe. There you go. Um, so, like I said, I feel like I know a lot about you now, but tell people just kind of a, a quick version of, of who you are, who your people are, what you do, et cetera. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So... I um, started as an English literature major in college. I loved writing. I actually went to be a missionary in China um, when I graduated college alongside my then girlfriend, then became wife, Lauren. So we got married and went to China together. We lived in China for almost five years doing missions work. And I had a calling experience on the streets of Shanghai, China, where in like five minutes, in like what is kind of like the equivalent of the Times Square of New York City. Mm -hmm. I was in this like dense downtown area of Shanghai, China, and I saw a black market thief, a drug dealer, a bunch of brothels, and a political protester. And the former three, like the, the drug dealing and like the black markets and prostitution, that was super common in China. Mm. Um, the political protest I only ever saw one time, and it was that one that got cracked down on right away while all the others were thriving ways to make, make mm. money. So four illegal th things, three of them were great living. One of them got cracked down on. And it was one of those experiences that never left me. And I felt deeply called in the wake of that experience to go live missionally mm. within law and business. So I feel like I'm once a missionary, always a missionary. I just, I think like, how is God sending us out as ambassadors in Christ to do whatever we're doing? And that mm. could be in, at a lawyering desk or it could be in the mission field. Um, so I felt really called to go to law school and I did it. It went really well for me grade wise. <laughs> um, I got into a great law school. I graduated at really high in my class, got my dream job. But my first year in mergers and acquisitions lawyering, my life collapsed mm in panic and anxiety, um, which I came to find out was super common for lawyers mm -hmm. and unfortunately super common for lots of Americans. But I was this like missionary on a call to live missionally within law and business. And I found within a year of lawyering, the missionary was converted to the nervous medicating lawyer who couldn't mm. sleep, who was taking medications, who was, I needed a drink or two just to go to sleep at night. And I was like, what happened to me? Yeah. And, and this could be like a whole podcast in itself, but it led to me realizing that my habits were forming my heart a lot more than my hopes were. Like I had this hope to be live like a missional mm. lawyer and like my worldview was great, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but my habits were just like everybody else's. Yeah. And unsurprisingly, that turns regular people into nervous medicating lawyers or the typical like depressed, anxious American. And so I think it was a really providential way of the Lord showing me that habits are just as much a part of your spiritual life as anything else mm. and that your your head can go one way but if your habits go the other way then your heart's going to follow the habits yeah and um as a writer who originally loved creative writing and always have loved writing in general i kind of wrote my way out of that ex experience trying to figure out you know what habits meant and that providentially led, led to a book contract so five years later um i get to be a writer and a lawyer i'm a much healthier lawyer now and i love writing um I've written The Common Rule, which was my first book on those habits that I talked about, and then Habits of the Household, which is a parenting book along the similar lines. And then my most recent book is Made for People, just came out a few months ago, and that's about habits and the life of friendship. So that's my story. I love it. No, that was a great recap. And honestly, I was going to kind of jokingly um, dub you the habit guy, so I'm glad we got that from your mouth and not <laughs> you know, from mine. I'll take it. But I'll tell you, my 20-some-year-old self traipsing around China, like writing short stories and poems, <laughs> would have hated the fact that really what I write now is nonfiction Christian on habits. Yeah. <laughs> I think, but, I, you know, like the Lord's changed my life and my 20-year-old self has to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I get that. I get that. We sort of talked about studying English and creative writing. And I mean, my mom like was always like, you could be the female Nicholas Sparks. And I was like, that would make a great living, but that is not what I want to do. Um, so That's it is funny. funny how God uses those passions and then uses our low points to really 
channel them into not just kind of saving us from ourselves, but, you know, helping other people. And, and these are so helpful. Yeah. I think that's what I appreciate so much. Like there is this sort of, there's this like tug of war between, I think the left brain, right brain thing that I feel, I don't mm. want to speak for you. I kind of sense that from you I, in, in what you do. <laughs> um, and so I love that all of your books are the two of the three that I've read, you know, they're very inviting, they're very experiential and narrative driven, but they're super practical, man. Like this is not just like yeah. inspirational, like motivational pump up. It's like, there are really tactile things to walk away with to help us change yeah. these habits that, as you said, in turn change our heart and our life and, and can help route us toward the hopes that are genuine that we have that we maybe like don't know how to live out. So I appreciate that's, that's, that. That's really well put. And, you know, you're sitting next to the enjoy life, um, like letters there. And it, it occurred to me that I think it wasn't until the Lord led me to realize that habits were not restricting, they were freeing, mm. that, that I actually started to joyfully lean into the structured life. Because yeah. my former self was this very creative, very spontaneous person who thought that in order to be like happy and joyful and free you had to do whatever you wanted in any given yeah. moment. And I think that low point brought me to the realization that actually no true freedom, true joy comes from picking the right restraints, mm. like finding the right limitations. So almost like, you know, a car with the right guardrails can go really fast and not worry about, you know, going totally. off the road. And, and I feel a lot of joy, like in life now, like I'm a, a plane that can finally fly because I've been so finely tuned by, yeah. you know, habits and practices. And so now I see all this stuff as the path to joy, not the, you know, barrier to it. And and it's a really different perspective, but I think it is the true one. Yeah. And it takes a while, I think, uh, for that joy to kick in. Like the habits are hard. Yeah. Um, but I love that you call it freedom. I did feel that a lot um, in your writing and you talk in the newest book, which I want to share a lot uh, with everybody about, American freedom versus biblical freedom um, mm -hmm. was a point that really stood out to me. And I think what you're describing is a good way of understanding the difference between those two things and like the American freedom that we've sort of been indoctrinated to chase after so seldom sets us free. You know, it, it almost always keeps us captive to something. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, th I think that American freedom of being free from is, is just I, honestly so misleading. Mm. Um, speaking of music, the Avid brothers have a great song. Love them. That includes when you run, make sure you run not only from, but also to. Yeah. Because <laughs> life so doesn't need an airplane to chase you down. Um, and I think about all the time. It's so important actually to really, if you're a philosophy student and you know, you'll study or get this, but us common folk often miss it. Like freedom is not just freedom from, it's what you're free to do. Mm. And I think when you realize you need to be free to do what, like what's your purpose as a human being. And when you realize that God has created you, not as an infinite sort of like soul with no guidelines, but a limited creature mm. that must sleep, for example, yeah. or has to breathe or eat, you start to intuit, oh my gosh, there's all these limitations that surround me, but they give me life and freedom when I honor them. When you sleep enough, mm. your body feels great. When you eat yeah. the right things, then you can. And similarly, your soul um, needs limitations. And that's the idea of be, by choosing the right restraints and choosing the right patterns, you entered into the freedom of being what you were made to do. Um, so freedom to be a human being or to, yeah. to glorify God, to be in deep relationships. And that's much better than being free from any constraints on my decisions and choices. Yeah, dude, that's so true. I mean, the power of a preposition, one like word nerd to another, but it really, mm. it changes everything. <laughs> well put. <laughs> um, one of the words you use to kind of talk about habits and, and patterns in your books is liturgy. Can you just define what that means for people who aren't familiar with it and like what that means in daily life? Yeah, this is so important. I felt like five years ago when I was writing, um, I really had to define it for people. Liturgy has really seen a renaissance, though, recently. I feel like more people are like, oh, yeah, like I want that in my life. Um, I mean, a liturgy in the most, I mean, contemporary common sense is a pattern of worship that we do over and over, um, even semi-consciously to unconsciously, right? So you, you'll think of liturgies and church services or worship services as things you say together, maybe like the Lord's Prayer, 
And sometimes we don't like liturgy because we, we think, oh, that's boring or rote, or I don't even have to pay attention. Mm. Um, but in the, I mean, this is an ancient concept and actually literally in the original Catholic sense, the word liturgy means the work of the people. It's the idea that here's how the people do the work of the church. Here's how we worship. And the intended goal of all liturgy is to be formed in the image of what you worship. Mm. And even if you go to a quote unquote non-liturgical church or just think, you know, that's not for me. I mean, really we all have, and this is the important point. We all have liturgies of worship in any service. It's the things that we do over and over mm -hmm. to worship. Now, the really important part about that is I like to try to remind people that liturgy and habit are kind of almost exactly the same definition. They're the things that we do over and over, semi-consciously to unconsciously. The difference is just that liturgy admits that it's about worship, right? So you, you assume like when you yeah. enter into liturgy, you're like, oh, I am worshiping something greater. Yeah. Habit obscures what we worship. Mm. But I think in the Christian understanding of the world, a human being is not made with an on-off switch to worship. It's not like, oh, now I'm worshiping because I'm in church, but now I'm at my laptop doing a podcast or writing a book or writing a contract as a lawyer, so I'm not worshiping. No. Mm. The question is not whether we're worshiping. The question is just what we're worshiping. Yeah. And when you think about it like that, suddenly, and this was my big epiphany years ago when I wrote The Common Rule, I was like, oh my gosh, my life is filled of liturgies of worship to what like the way that i swipe my phone is is a yeah. liturgy yeah the way that um i work constantly trying to find the praise of some boss or partner or client out there is a liturgy uh, the way that i do or don't rest is a liturgy and it, i think it was when i realized that my life was full of unnamed liturgies that mm. i started to realize my life was full of worship yeah and worship forms you the psalmist says you know those who make and trust in idols will become like them. And that was when I was, I started to really think hard about, oh my gosh, my life is full of liturgies of worship mm. to either me or something else. That's not God. No wonder my mental health is getting so deformed. Mm -hmm. Like I'm becoming like my idols, you know, oh, um, wow. which is not a healthy way to live. And so seeing life through the liturgical lens, quote unquote, has really helped me think about habits of using my phone, technology, hanging out with people or working all of this common stuff as really significant spiritual actions that we should mm. think about um, because they form us. Yeah. I think that's so important just to acknowledge there isn't as much of a distinction or barrier or whatever you want to call it between the physical and the spiritual, the things that we actually right. participate in. Like you said, we're wired to constantly worship whether we're attuned to it or not, you know? So why, why not try to choose and worship the proper things or utilize those things yes. in ways that aren't, you know, changing us, as you said. Um, I think yes. it's so cool. Yeah. And your third book still kind of runs on that principle. You know, the first one, your common rule was more about, I think, kind of professional, personal, like you said, habits of the mm -hmm. household is more for family and parenting. What what led you to Made for People? Um, this came out 2023. Yeah. Was this like... A friendship crisis moment for you or was this just born out of sort of the cultural moment like how did you get from how did you get to the friendship element yeah i have a couple of different ways to answer that and i think it's sort of incomplete without going through all of them so just like briefly to me there's a logical progression that i started writing about personal habits and then I started writing about family habits. And then I really started thinking about communal habits. And for anybody watching the video, I'm like making concentric circles here. Like I started mm. thinking more broadly about our patterns of interaction. And that that was, it sort of made sense. I sort of look at my book so far as a trilogy um, yeah. in, in that sense, which uh, is fun for me to say, but they're not sold as a package yet, like a <laughs> yeah. Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> um, and in another sense, this book was unlike my last two in that my first two really came out of crisis. Mm. Um, one, my mental breakdown of realizing my habits mattered. And then my parenting book came, came out of a not as serious, but still important breakdown in my house where I realized, oh my gosh, I'm a guy who thinks about work and tech patterns all the time. But my habits in the household were basically just like yelling my kids to bed every night. <laughs> I like, yeah. I gotta, I, so it was like a little personal crisis of really, I need to fix this. Um, you know, Maddie, it's, it's, it's kind of neat to say that my 
book on friendship came out of blessing that crisis mm, because all through my conscious life, and I date that somewhere in high school, <laughs> <laughs> like that I started sure. paying attention to the world. Totally. I was kind of maybe a late bloomer, <laughs> but ever since I can really remember, like live, really tried living and trying to start walking with the Lord. Close friends have been um, something that the Lord has given me to, that honestly, I feel like going back to the guardrails have kept me mm. um, ever since. I mean, they were with me in hard decisions. They were with me when I was having mental crises and didn't feel like myself and was having suicidal thoughts. They're with me in the, the successes. They're with me in the difficulties of parenting. And I feel like so blessed by the richness of friendship mm. that it was something I wanted to write about because in contrast to that, I'm looking out at our modern moment and seeing like crazy stats on the epidemic of loneliness mm, mm -hmm. and also just seeing in my personal life, often the difference between people who are like falling away, but, or holding on. And that might be falling away from faith, falling away from marriage, falling away from mental health, whatever it is. I often see the difference is, do you have friends or not? Mm. Like life gets really hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure you can speak to this tragedy hits or the ordinary tragedies of just, growing up and experiencing losses and difficulties. And I've just seen such a difference through my thirties of the people who walk beside close friends and those who don't that I would now say, uh, careful practices of friendship are probably the most untalked about, but important spiritual discipline of our modern moment. Like you need to figure out a way to live deeply into friendships wherever you are in life because mm. they're make or break. They will make or break your life. Yeah, that's huge. You talk so much at the beginning of the book about what you just called the epidemic of loneliness. And and I agree. I think I come from the same place. I love that you said this richness of friendship becomes these sort of guardrails. And it makes me think of a scripture. I feel like I feel like it's Ecclesiastes and I'll probably botch it, but it's the one about, you know, like a man can prevail against one but not against mm -hmm. two and a three fold cord can't be broken easily. It's the totally paraphrased and botched. Yeah. Cord of three strands is not easily broken. That's only, there's, a, there's very different translations of that, but it's yeah. Go on. It's such a beautiful verse. Um, and I just feel that I feel that from you, I've experienced that in my life. And so I, I hope, and I, I am sure this is part of your heart behind the book is people who have that man land here and know and remind yourself what a gift that that is and cultivate those mm -hmm. things and create the habits, you call it habits and arts of friendship to maintain mm -hmm. and grow those friendships. And if you don't, you know, you do speak to that here. And how do you, you know, as an adult with a family and career and busy life, what do you do to pursue what you call these covenant friendships and I imagine that's such a daunting place to start, whether it's just something you haven't had, whether it's the result of a relocation, um, something like that. But like, how do you speak to those readers who, who want to start where I feel like you and I've been blessed to kind of have that? Yeah, I really like that question because I think this conversation can make people feel uniquely guilty or uniquely broken when they're mm. like, Oh, well, I wish I had friends or I used to until something happened. And mm. the first thing that I think is really important to say is just, if you're out there feeling like you are the typical American who is, you know, busier, maybe more successful, but used to have friends. Mm. Cause as I say, like, this is the drift of American life. Mm -hmm. I often tell people you did become a busier, more successful person who used to have friends. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Um, I think it's important to know that you are normal. So mm -hmm. like you can, you can breathe out a little bit. You, you're not the only one. In fact, you're in the overwhelming majority of people who feel like the outside of their relational life doesn't match the inside. And we, we call that dissonance loneliness now in the statistics, even though I don't know it's the best term because, you know, it's not, most people don't see themselves as like, oh, I'm a, I'm a recluse in an apartment and I never see people. Right. But almost everybody can relate to the idea of, oh, well, I used to have close friends until I had kids, or I used to have close friends until I moved, or I used to have close friends until I got so busy, or I used to have close friends until 2020, and then everybody started going wild on the political spectrum and they left me behind. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, and honestly, all these are like, I meet people 
in my local friend group and just people who talk to me about the book who say, yeah, that one, you know, yeah. I used to have friends until yeah. I moved. And, and I'm, that, that is what the Surgeon General of the United States and all the studies on the health impacts call loneliness. It's mm. a dissonance between who you are internally and how the world knows you. Mm. So being surrounded by people, but known by none of them, that's the common American wow. experience. And that's what's called loneliness. And yeah. I just want to, you know, comfort you and say you're normal, right? Like, yeah. So um, it's not terribly comforting to know that you're normal because it still hurts. <laughs> it's but still awful. The next, <laughs> but the next, but I hope it's comforting to know you're not alone in your aloneness. It's For common. Sure. And so the next thing I tell people is that just small steps really matter. And I tried to write the book so that you could look at any chapter and they're, they're broken up like the arts of habits of loneliness and just make one move from that chapter. Mm -hmm. You know, I write about um, being vulnerable with friends, being committed to friends, using technology well with friends, thinking about geography and friends, thinking about spiritual discipline and, and worship with friends. That, like any of these things might be a place to start for people. Mm. But one of my favorite places to start is just to say, have you ever thought of trying to devote one hour a week to the goodness of friendship. Um, because most of us say there is that person in my life who I could get closer to, but I'm just mm -hmm. so busy. Yeah. And I, I, I want to say to people, you got 168 hours a week, just like the rest of us. Yeah. And the grace of this is anything else that's as important to your life as friendship is like surviving, eating, sleeping, you know, it takes a lot of hours a day to do these things. Yeah. But one hour a week of friendship, like just saying, okay, every Saturday morning, I'm going to go to the running club and I'm actually going to stay for coffee afterwards or something. Those things like change your life mm. just by leaning into those communal areas of life. And I'll, I'm just want to say like, it's only an hour a week and it yeah. will actually change your life. And starting with that like habit of discipline of saying, I'm just going to show up mm -hmm. often as a make or break for people. Yeah. And you even, I think list at one point in the book, how to address if you can think of that person you just mentioned or a couple people um like you just mentioned who you would like or you think there's potential for a richer friendship with mm -hmm. how to like take that next step like are they a family member are they an acquaintance are they someone who lives in your city who doesn't live in your city and you like list them off and then say hey mm -hmm. here's maybe something that you could try to enrich what you call in the book covenant friendship and so that's what I meant by like you really hit all the to-do points. I mean, it's really practical for people. So I think it's almost more, like I said, it's a celebration and a sort of call to to cultivate these relationships further if you have them. But it really is a tool if you're the one of the ones feeling, like you said, broken or left or guilty that you don't. Like, it's just, I can't say that enough. It's really practical. Yeah, and I... I'm I'm a fan of charts and graphs. So yeah. I, like the part that you're mentioning, I was just trying to think, you know, where do people find themselves in life and how could they take that next step towards covenant friendship, which is my way of saying covenant friendship. I, I, I call relationships that are uh, fully vulnerable. So you're truly mm -hmm. known, mm -hmm. but fully committed. So you're truly loved. And I get that so, from looking at Jesus's action towards us. And saying that he made himself vulnerable to the point of death for us mm. and was ultimately committed to us. And so that idea of being fully known and fully loved is really important concept to the book. Um, and most people, I think, have an idea of like, well, I do have a sister or an old roommate or a friend, you know, and, and whoever you're thinking of when you think about this, my suggestion is besides the hour a week, like, could you devote it towards, you know, a meetup or a phone call with that person? Is, is to maybe like take a step to naming that relationship. That's one of the most practical next steps, I think, if you have that person, just to have one of those awkward but incredibly important conversations, <laughs> which is something along the lines of, hey, this relationship actually means a lot to me. And if we just set up some sort of regular rhythm of like having a phone call once a month or like going out to coffee once a week, um, those kinds of conversations that I write about one at the beginning of the book, where a guy in 10th grade asked me if we, we would be best <laughs> friends <laughs> besides the lockers, it was a very awkward question. Do you want to be best friends? But it completely changed my life because naming relationships like that, or just telling somebody you want to lean into covenant friendship with them 
often changes both of your lives. And so I, I try to encourage people a lot in the book just to use the power of words to name a relationship because often that's the difference between, um, you know, a feeling of close friends that never actually happens and, mm-hmm. and then a, or a relationship that's really in- intentional and you start to nourish with words. So name the relationship if you can. Yeah, I think that's cool. You you talk about, you know, how we, I think our, we all kind of have this, desire to live more purposefully and intentionally is a conversation that's had a lot and should be. But then you kind of double down on what we're just talking about and say, you know, you need to be speaking these things on purpose too, that there's power in that and power in words and, and that it is really awkward (laughs) and vulnerable, but that it, it is what sets us up for that, what you call covenant friendship. And, um, can you hit on the first chapter of the book is vulnerability? Um, which again, huge buzzword, Glad about that. It's awesome. Um, yeah. But in terms of relationship of your theme throughout being fully known, fully loved, there is, I think, a natural fear, right, about really being vulnerable with people who is safe, who is not safe. But you say in the book that we're ultimately happiest when we're exposed. Right. Can you right. talk about that? That feels like that feels like a mic drop moment. As some people are like, you're off your rocker. Like, what do you mean by that? Why is that true? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that the passage you're referring to is um, where I talk about, you know, we often think we're safer and happier when we're hidden, mm-hmm. but actually that leads to a lot of misery and sadness and destruction mm-hmm. and that we're all actually safest and happiest when we are exposed Two people who love us, yeah. right? So, yeah. and and here's here's where I'm getting that from. Um, for for any Christian who thinks about this, if you go back and look at Genesis, you see really important messaging on what a human being is relation relationally, just in the first three chapters of Genesis. And you'll see this incredible statement in chapter two of Genesis where God looks at Adam and says, "It's not good that you're alone," which is a remarkable thing for God to say because He's with Adam. Right. So apparently Adam doesn't have all he needs, even though God is there, because Adam was made for a relational life. So the way I put that is we can't experience God the way that we're made to experience him until we do so alongside others. Mm. And Adam and Eve, when Eve comes, I mean, there's so much to say about the beauty of marriage and male and female uh, here. But there's also just a relational side that we see Adam and Eve naked and unashamed, Mm -hmm. which is this idea that they're fully known to each other, fully exposed to each other, but there's no shame. There's no sense of that um, anyone's going to hurt me or anyone's going to abuse this. I don't need to hide anything. And if you look at that, you can see this high point of creation in the garden where Adam and Eve are fully known and fully loved. And then the first thing that happens when sin enters the world in Genesis 3 is we start to hide instead of being fully known and we start to experience shame instead of being fully loved. And you see this literally Adam and Eve hiding behind fig leaves. Mm -hmm. Um, You see it literally with God, them hiding behind a bush, like as if God doesn't know where they are. And we could just stop there. I mean, the theme just continues to unravel a human life in the old Testament. You see this everywhere, but if you just stop there, you see that the, the impact of sin in our life is to make us think that we're safer when we're hiding from other people and hiding from God, that's just what sin does Mm, to us. It does. Um, Sure. But it's not the way we were created. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I think the beauty of the gospel is, which is the antidote to that sin is that Jesus comes to us and says, I see you fully. I know who you are behind that bush. I know who you are behind that fig leaf. I know the shame. I know the trauma. Mm -hmm. I know the secrets. I know the pain. I know the scars. I know the things that are your fault. I know the things that are other people's fault, but everything that you're ashamed of. And he looks at us with clear, loving eyes and says, I love you anyway, period. Nothing you can do to change that. Yeah. And that is the most beautiful fact of the gospel. That's the, that, that Jesus knows us completely. He takes the fig leaves off. He moves the bush and he says, come here, child. I love you. Yeah. And you see that parent relationship with God. They're just like finding a wounded child and say, you're okay. I love you. Yeah. Wrapping, wrapping, and Jesus wraps us in his arms like that. And, and what I want to tell people is that that is the ultimate friend. Jesus is the ultimate friend mm. to us. And he calls us, he's himself the friend of sinners, friends to us. 
And if we're going to become more like Jesus, then we should become more like that in our friendships. Mm. And so when we are fully known to a friend, yes, we are vulnerable. That means to be capable of being wounded. Like my friends know things that could get me canceled, right? They, <laughs> my friends know things that could make me ashamed. They know how yeah. to break me, but they stick around and love me anyway. And that's mm. the fully committed or fully loved part. And when you combine vulnerability with commitment, you it feels beautiful because it's the way that you're meant to live. Mm. I know that is hard. Yeah. And I know you need to be wise about picking who you do that with. And I know there's a lot of fumbling and mistakes along that way. But I don't think there's any question that that's the life we we're made for. Yeah. And there's no question that we should be imitating Jesus to try to live like that. The questions are just, how do we start? Yeah. <laughs> and I just say, you know, start with a friend and a level of intimacy that is the next step. You know, you don't have to tell everything about your life to everybody tomorrow. Don't do that. That's a sign yeah, of relational yeah. unhealth. <laughs> but telling something risky to someone trustworthy is a great next step. And usually vulnerability catalyzes vulnerability. Most people are sitting around waiting to be asked. Mm. Like, and when you share something risky with them, they think not like, oh my gosh, you're weird. Um, that's what we're worried they're going to say, right? Yeah, totally. And we're scared. But what looks like, you know, shame to us looks like bravery to, to, mm. the, to the other person. They're like, oh, I can't believe you shared that. I'm so happy. Can I share something with you? And that's how that's how beautiful relationships start, just by taking that risk yeah. to be vulnerable. Is that how we learn who our safe people are too? Just tiny doses and and what is their response to that? Mm. I think so. Yeah. And I think that's actually a great point. I, I'll be honest. I think I wish I'd written a little bit more about how to make those small steps towards it in, in the book. Mm -hmm. Because I, I find a lot of people asking, you know, but who can I trust like that? And oh. I think... You know, I think most people have the intuition to say who's the next person and the next step, because it's not something I think anybody can tell you in a book. It's not something that anybody, that no one knows your life well enough. It's so intimate. You know, what are your secrets? What is your shame? What mm -hmm. is your trauma? And who in your life can handle that? But I think when you phrase it like, what is, what is one next step you can take with one trustworthy person? Mm. Um, it's a good way to start to make those moves to see, can they handle that secret? Mm -hmm. And if so, then can you trust them with the next one? And a good thing to watch out for is do they trust you back with something? Mm. You know, do they say, actually, I'd have some, I have something I'd like to share with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the ways we could sort of safely, but um, I don't want to give too much emphasis on safety. Vulnerability will always be risky, mm -hmm. but you yeah. can do it responsibly vulnerable in incremental steps with somebody. Yeah. One of the things you touch on, which we don't have to harp on too long, though, is the difference between sharing and vulnerability and specifically sort of how social media plays into this. Um, mm, yeah. And yeah. so one of the things that I love that you tell a story of in the book is about your dad growing up and saying about whatever, you know, all sorts of items that things should only be used for what they were made for. And mm. it's just like one of those perfect dad, grandpa, just it's like, such a dad. it's such it's a dad, such a dad yeah. comment, but it really struck me because it's like, I think we so often vilify social media, which you and I both use and most people use mm -hmm. professionally, if yeah. not just personally. Um, and just to remember when we do share, because it is a great outlet to share your experiences yeah. and connect and break isolation with others. We both do that in our books and our work. Um, but that there is a difference in sharing and vulnerability um, and yes. that a lot of times sharing that is a good platform for true vulnerability. You'd want to be really wise in presenting on social That's media. That's right. I think it's worth just pushing into a tiny bit. Um, so I, and as a writer, Maddie, you'll, you'll get this. I make the distinction between sharing and vulnerability as when you give um, the contours of your life versus when you give the details of your life like mm. saying you know my wife and i are having a rocky patch i think that, that, that lots of people would say oh you're being vulnerable no that that's sharing like we don't know anything about who said what last night or mm -hmm. who threw something or who broke the dish or who yelled you know when you give details on your life like that you're suddenly being vulnerable um i think you know somebody to, to, to say you know my wife and i had an argument versus you know 
I threw a plate and walked out of the room. Suddenly you're actually being vulnerable because you're describing a person. Yeah. And that's what you do with friends. Okay. That's like, that's, I think how you get deeper in a relationship with friends that whether you're in a Bible study or an accountability group, or just hanging out on the front porch with a friend, actually sharing details about your life is the way to start to push into vulnerability. Um, Social media is not really the right place for that. Um, I, I think social media is a great place for sharing, you know, and people like that. It's helpful for people yeah. to know some details about my life. It's helpful for people to know that, oh, I'm going through this. Or there's real people out there who want to pray for you when they hear about your life or yeah. want to give you advice. And that's great. Um, but I just, I put it like this. The, the promise of friendship, as we just talked about, is to be fully known and fully loved. And that comes through being vulnerable. The promise of social media is is more like to be fully seen and fully liked. And it's <laughs> yeah. just nobody's you know, if you can pour your heart out to social media and post a picture of yourself crying about something. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. I'm just saying that there's no one there to truly love love you back. Like all those likes or those follows shouldn't be mistaken for love mm-hmm. um or commitment. Yeah. And somebody, one person who actually cries with you and hugs you in person mm. is worth a million followers who like and say, Hey, thinking about you, you know, yeah. we need embodied people in our life to truly carry our weaknesses. Mm. And um, my dad said, you know, use things for what they're made for yeah. or they'll, or it'll break somebody, something or you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And social media is not made <laughs> to handle your vulnerability. You will get broken or other people will get broken. Um, if you look to for love there, it's not yeah. for your love. It can be great marketing and it can yeah, be great sure. education, <laughs> but it's not, it's not a friend. <laughs> yeah. I just loved that from him. I could like hear my dad saying it. Um, one you of know, the I things... said it to my son last night, or it was like, I think it was two nights ago. I was like, you know, my, because he was using this cat toy as a whip and unsurprisingly <laughs> it hit his brother and hurts. And I was like, my dad always said, use things for what they're made for. Or it's going to hurt somebody or break something. And I was yeah. like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody my, got hurt. My wife looked over. She's like, such a dad thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> happening already. Like you're turning into him. Um, yeah. One of the other things I just, I want to dive into with you because this, this struck me a lot for people who have found those relationships. Um, the importance of honesty, which seems obvious. Um, mm. But when you discuss this in the book, you sort of focus on this dance or tension between encouragement and rebuke. And I thought this was such an important topic and truthfully felt the conviction of, you know, how heavily I probably lean more toward encouragement and we all do Yes. um, Yes. in those friendships. And so I wonder, like, tell us why this matters so much um, and why it enriches our friendships. Oh, man, my best friends have always been the ones that are honest with me, you know, and, and think about it like. You want your spouse to tell you, hey, you've got food on your mouth, you know, or like, <laughs> sure. you know, you got something on your face quick. We're at dinner. Get it all. Yeah. Um, are people who really love us will tell us the embarrassing thing because mm-hmm. they care about us. Mm-hmm. Right. And my best friends have always been ones who are willing to say, Justin, you are great at X, but why? is kind of threatening to bring you down, you know, in some ways that, you know, people have told me like, Justin, you're such a good communicator and and leader of people, but you, you don't have any follow through or organization in your life. And this was a lot in my early twenties. Some, you really just one or two important friends were honest with me and it changed my life Mm. because I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm never going to do the things that I dream of unless I work on that weakness. And thank goodness somebody told me. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So I, I say it like this. If we think of ourselves as we really are perfect just the way we are and we just need other friends to tell us that, um, we're going to be in a, in a world of hurt because yeah. friends are not there just to flatter you. I mean, the Proverbs are really good on this, that um, those are kisses of the enemy. You know, yeah. the, 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 the wounds of a friend, on the mm. other hand, are faithful. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And yeah. I just I would end it with this metaphor if you really care about somebody, you really do love them. And you think of them as a person who is a house that is worth renovating, mm. but it's renovation and renovation involves tearing down stuff and, you know, moving stuff. And there's some pain to that. And so to rebuke a friend is not to say like, 
you are nothing. You know, you, you, you're awful at this is to say, no friend, like you're a beautiful old home that needs renovation. And I would like to see a better wall put up here. And so you're willing to work with them on making this house of their life more beautiful, but you understand that that requires tearing some things down. Mm. Um, but you could still believe in them as a person and be honest about what you need to rebuke them for. And the best rebukes are done like that in love yeah. for who they will become. Yeah. I think that too goes back to the safety of the relationship. It's not, you know, our job to go around with an emotional sledgehammer to everyone who needs a rebuke. Right. You know what I mean? But then right. on the opposite side of that, there is such kind of a cultural moment where, you know, love is accepting me how I am and love is tolerating everything that I do. And so I think that even though if we know cognitively that is not true biblical love, it's it makes it more difficult to really have those conversations and to show show that truth in love and and point out the renovations. But more than even being having the courage to do that as a friend is like maybe just being prayerful that God make your heart ready to receive those things from friends because it's, yes. it's really hard to hear that. You know, kind of like vulnerability, I think the best way to start with this is actually just to ask another friend. Like, hey, <laughs> oh, what do you think like, I could work on to be better at loving my family? Um, mm. And this can be not a loaded question. It's like, hey, yeah. you know, I keep arguing with my mom. And sometimes, and you've seen us argue. Like, what do you think I could do better? Like, where am I, what am I missing? Yeah. And um, they'll probably be like, <laughs> yeah, so I've been wanting to tell you that you, you know, and, and, and now that you likely, say that, again, here's my list. <laughs> yeah. And likely again, they'll probably be like, wow, I, that was a good question to ask. So actually, I've got one for me. What do you think I could do better at? And that's just such a healthy door to open in your friendships. But um, so it might be a good idea to start by asking for rebuke rather than giving it. And then yeah. you sort of introduce the relation to it, relationship to it. I mean, that's a really good point. And honestly, if they're friends, like it sounds like you have and like I have, there's probably some laughter to come in that conversation too. Like this oh, is yeah. not going to be yeah. <laughs> only excruciating. We're going to have a I good mean, time at some point. It's common sense. And we've talked a lot about it, but honestly, you know, Maddie, it feels so good to be known. Yeah. And even when somebody is like, well, you always do this. And I think it's really annoying, uh, you know, you're like, yeah, you got me. I do do yeah, that. Yeah. And there's a sense of like, oh, I need to change. But there's this glory of like, I'm known. Like, yeah. <laughs> that is true of me. And um, that's, I think that's like, uh, it's also a way of experiencing love. Like when you yeah. get a rebuke, you're like, oh, this person cares enough to know me and say that. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I can think, I can hear my people saying those things right now. And like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, that's just what you're going to do. We'll be here. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, yeah. what matters is that you'll be here. So. Um, well, I just, man, I appreciate your time and your heart. I, this, I, I really, I bought this book for our, um, my girlfriends do a favorite things Christmas party every year. And, uh, typically I get one of my favorite books from the year and a favorite bottle of wine. Cause those really are my favorite things. Um, so I gave them this this year and read one of the passages from it. And I just, like you said in the book, I think words have such a power to call us into connection mm. and call us into growth and and for me personally, I just, it meant a lot and, and I appreciate it so much. And I know that no matter where people fall in this spectrum of, of friendship or loneliness and sort of the ebb and flow that we all feel of that, like there's, there's fruit from this, there's treasure for you here and just your words are, are powerful. And I'm really thankful, um, that we have this. So, oh, well, th hey, thank you for saying that. Um, and that's deeply encouraging because the idea that if you, giving the book to a friend and reading them a paragraph from it is almost exactly what I had in mind as a hope. Mm -hmm. um, because more than just anybody reading the book and thinking, oh, that's a good point on friendship. My great hope was that people would be like, hey, friend, you need to read this and we mm -hmm. should talk about it because it really, I think, becomes a tool for creating friendship, not just making you think about it. Yeah. And I was, I'm like, literally in my head, I'm thinking, I want people to like, send someone a passage from the book or hand it like I, I just hope it catalyzes friendship by being a gift between friends and so that's makes my day that yeah. you read it to your girlfriends well good I loved it um y'all go get made for people if you're parents especially go get habits of the household um and common rule that'll I guess be next on my list for this year if you want the trilogy you gotta, yeah, yeah you gotta. get the get the, the Justin early trilogy <laughs> it is second only to C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien 
Um, <laughs> before we roll off here, um, like I said, it's it's we're all about joy. So as we enter in uh, to 2024, what is something bringing you joy this year? Mm. All right. Well, she's probably not going to hear it, but um, my wife is bringing me a lot of joy recently. I love it. <laughs> we're, we are in a phase of, of we've had kids, four boys, and they're just now getting to the age. Now they're between uh, five and 11. And like we're out of diapers and out of naps. And I can see her like coming to life again <laughs> because her life is just a little bit less crazy than it used to still pretty crazy. And uh, a friend was asking me last night, you know, how's marriage going? And, every, and the past couple months, I was like, you know, it's been really beautiful recently. And I think, honestly, it's because we're all getting a little more free time compared to what we yeah. used to have. Yeah. And um, I just, I say it because it's like, we've been married 16 years. You can go through a lot of phases in that time and you can go through a lot of struggles together. But it was really neat just last night to be articulating that 16 years in, I'm seeing her blossom in a new way. And it's yeah. just bringing me deep joy so you caught me on the right day yeah she, won't, I she love probably it. won't listen to this but she bring, lauren brings me a lot of joy we'll see if we can get her email we'll shoot her a clip just yeah if somebody <laughs> would to send help this you to out. her i could yeah. really get some bonus points that would be great we'll figure it out <laughs> we'll, we'll get it to lauren um there you go. well man i appreciate you so much i i really enjoyed getting to know you um obviously before but but now for about an hour here so and i know everybody's gonna love this it just it's touched my heart i appreciate your work so well, thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been great to get to know you a little more. And I want to know what the bottle of wine was that your your favorite was because when I come to Nashville, oh yes, uh, I am a big Italian red person. Um, so I I'm Italian. Are you? All right, I love it. Yeah, I'm I come from very Sicilian like British, but Italian at heart. Um, yeah, I love uh, Piedmont wines, so like Northwestern. Okay. Um, and I got a Nebbiolo. Um, is just one that I keep around all, all the right. time. Kind of obscure, like, but I, I always tell people, like, if you're a Pinot Noir person, it's similar in body, just a little more on the dry side than the fruity side. Um, big fan. Let's go. All right. Yeah. Well, next time I come to Nashville, I'm going to ask your pointers on where to go. Maybe you can introduce yeah. me. <laughs> For sure. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Thanks, Justin, so much. Thanks so much, Maddie. This has been awesome.